Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's edition of Health Matters. Well, it's our monthly phone-in this evening, and tonight we'll be focusing on women's health, with this August, of course, being Women's Health Month and Women's Month, basically. My guest this evening is Dr. Johan van der Weyden. He's an obstetrician and gynecologist in private practice at Park Lane Clinic in Johannesburg. Dr. van der Weyden, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. It's nice to be here. Well, just a reminder before we begin that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, email me at healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list and you can choose what you'd like and I'll send those to you. But in the meantime, if you have any questions, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. Dr. Van der Vat, I'm very pleased to be speaking about women's health because on this show I speak a lot about men's health. Us women are always concerned about our men and getting them off to the doctor, which seems to be almost an impossibility. So it's nice to be able to talk about what concerns us for a change. What are the most important issues that women are facing health-wise at the moment? Well, there are, there are a lot of issues. Um, uh, first of all, uh, uh, we have uh, obviously childbearing and fertility problems and then uh, we get an aging population so the menopause and its treatment is very important and then we got uh, the disease of endometriosis which afflict the younger population and also um, from a uh, perspective the gynecologists themselves are under threat uh, because of litigation and problems, and we're probably going to see a decline in the gynecological specialist numbers in, in, in due course. Are we becoming more of a litigious society now? Because, I mean, we always thought those were you know, things happened in America. Is, is it happening more and more here now as well? No, it's a very serious problem. Uh, the average gynecologist in private practice have to, has to fork out about 350,000 rand in insurance money uh, which comes directly off his practice and unfortunately has to uh, he has to pass some of that on to the patient and young doctors uh, will not choose a profession because of this that's actually very sad it's very sad yes we in fact we had a discussion on it tonight this very night just before i got here what are we going to do without you i don't know it looks like the south african society of obstetricians gynecologists uh, have appealed to the minister to to do something at least cap the claims and and uh, it's it's a serious situation it's not a it's not a tempting profession anymore for for young professionals now there's some issues that have been in the news quite a lot lately and one of them i think is the fact that people are talking about the fact that his, hysterectomies are sometimes being overprescribed by doctors well that could be the case uh but the alternatives to hysterectomy that could be used, um, uh, as a whole, I think doctors are, are rather honest, and they, you know, a few may slip through the net, but uh, generally, I think hysterectomies are essential in treat many serious conditions, and I think most of them are legitimate. It's it's a real a real indication for a real operation. Because one of the, the symptoms or one of the reasons for people going for a hysterectomy is what they call heavy menstrual bleeding. And I know that can in itself be a huge issue. So in those sort of cases, it is warranted. Yes, a lot of reasons for heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, uh, if you look at the, the malignant reasons, and obviously there, if it's life-saving procedure, 
Then you have conditions like fibroids, which is very, very common in the African population. That causes a lot of heavy bleeding. And uh, uh, that's often just to get the patient's blood levels of hemoglobin. So those people who go anemic, that'll often rescue them. And then there's another condition linked to endometriosis, which is called adenomyosis, which also leads to heavy bleeding. But often uh, these conditions occur in child-bearing uh, age and one will have to do more conservative surgery to still allow these women to have children. But heavy bleeding, yes, is a problem, but there are a lot of alternatives to, to treat this condition. If you want me to discuss that, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, well. I was, yeah, please, if you wouldn't mind, because, I mean, there's that. I was wanting to talk about that and also about treatment now for endometriosis. Two conditions that up until quite recently, there hasn't really been that much that could be done about them, but things have changed quite a lot over the last few years. Yes. Um, as far as uh, bleeding is concerned, uh, there are hormonal preparations which you place into the uterus that can... Uh, make the bleeding much less. If a woman ha- is past a childbearing a- uh, bearing age, you can actually uh, burn out the lining of the womb, which where the bleeding comes from, and that's if if there's no other pathology. That's another alternative that uh, one uh, can look at. And then there's the conservative therapy where you would go in with a hysteroscope and remove offending polyps or let's say fibroids or conditions that will cause the bleeding. So if your diagnosis is right, you can always be more targeted in your response. Uh, so uh, if it depends on what age a woman is, if she's completed a family, and then you can obviously tailor make the, th- uh, the therapy to, to help her with her symptoms because heavy menstrual bleeding with pain is, is a... Is a sort of a condition that can really interfere with your lifestyle. It's very debilitating, I'm yes, sure, for is. a lot of women. And if you have any questions, just please remember, we, this show only goes on until 10, and we often have people calling in right at the last minute, and then we can't put you on the air. So if you have any questions for Dr. Van der Vat, please do call us in time, and the number is 0892102010. The other condition as well that I wanted to speak about, Doctor, was endometriosis, because that is also something that is excruciatingly painful. Yes, uh, well, endometriosis is sort of one of my pet subjects. Uh, it's a condition where the lining of the a womb, which menstruates uh, away every month, starts growing inside or inside the pelvis, but that is outside the uterus. It's in the wrong place, and the body tries to get rid of it, and in the process causes uh, inflammation, adhesions, and a lot of... Uh, inflammation which causes pain during your menstrual cycle and often lead to infertility um, it's a, it's a very it's a very widespread condition and uh, especially where women are choosing to have the children later if you go over 30 you will have a chance to have endometriosis I was reading a rather startling statistic and it said that in South Africa it's estimated that approximately 2 million women suffer from endometriosis I mean that's an alarmingly high number of people Yes, that is. Fortunately, uh, they're, they're different stages, so uh, there are four stages. So most of them would probably be in stage one or two when they're in their 20s, uh, although some may be higher staging. In the, in the 30s, you would tend to get the stage threes and fours. So 
if you take the statistics over you know the whole reproductive uh, life uh, span of a woman, then yes, there would be a lot of women. The problem with something like endometriosis is that it's not that easily recognized, I think, in the in the early stages or if you don't have it that severely to start with. And it's sometimes quite difficult to diagnose. Yes. Um, the uh, uh, You have to go on the patient's history. It's pain with menstruation, pain with intercourse, and then obviously uh, a lot of them there will be infertility as well. And if uh, if you... That should ring a bell and then... Uh, the only way that you can physically diagnose it and get some specimens to, to actually analyze to see if it's endometriosis is by doing a laparoscopy. That's by entering the abdomen through the through the belly button, the umbilicus, and then inspect the organs and where suspicious lesions you can take little bites off them and have them analyzed. And also that's a way you stage a disease as well. So depending on what you find, you can give the patient a staging. So how is it actually treated? Because there are some new treatments now available. Um, yes. Because uh, there's no p- permanent cure for something like this. Uh, yes, that's sort of a broad statement. The, if you, the, the, the best way to treat it um, is uh, by actually removing it, cutting it out. Mm. That's, you need to have a lot of skill to, to get all the lesions out, but that's the gold standard now there are other hormonal preparations some good some bad uh, which will actually make the endometriosis sort of dampen it down and and then uh, in that period that time unfortunately uh, all of them are anti-reproductive so you won't be able to have a baby but the symptoms will disappear and the lesions will shrink but once you stop stop that it'll come back again and those are some oral contraceptives used in the right way would help. There's some special preparations uh, with progesterones that'll help. And then there's some some uh, uh, very heavy preparations, GnRH analogs, which will which will virtually turn the lady in in sort of menopausal, and that will also get rid of uh, some of the lesions. But it'll never disappear. It'll just go dormant. Okay, I was actually speaking to someone on the show last week about this new robotic um, machine that's at one of the hospitals up in Johannesburg, and they're using it. It can be used very successfully for the for operating on endometriosis. They're having really good results with that, apparently. Oh, well, I would like to contest that statement. It, oh, it's okay. It's not been shown anywhere in the world that that surgery is superior than conventional laparoscopic surgery. Oh, okay. I'm, so, I'm sorry to. No, 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 no. It's in- interesting to know that, though, because when I was reading up about it and talking about this machine, um, it seems it was actually the most amazing thing and was having the most amazing results. So it's, it's not the be all and end all, is no, what you're saying, yeah, then. No, okay. I, I was part of a team, international team, that wrote the position statement on that, and I, I can let you have it. It's, it is not superior. Okay, but, but it's, it's just much, another. Much, much, much more costly costly to do it that way. Well, I would imagine so. The cost of that machine alone must be absolutely horrendous. I think it's 25 million rand. Oh, my, for the machine? Yeah. Good grief. Okay, now I don't even have to 
pay for part of that because that's what we'd end up doing if we had to go and have it done with that machine. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Right. Just a reminder, the number 0892 I'd like to talk, Doctor, as well about the pill. That's another thing that sometimes becomes quite controversial. And there's been a lot of talk lately about something called venous thromboembolism and blood clots and all sorts of things. And people are getting quite nervous about the pill. And it's been around for so long. What is going on at the moment? Okay, there's a lot of uh, sort of uh, in the press. This this has been one of the aspects has been highlighted, but um, it is the incidence is really low, and I don't think the average lady should stop a pull just because mm. it's in the literature. There are high risk patients. Uh, they got a, they got thrombophilia. That means they they tend to clot, and those ladies should stay away. Um, Obviously, there are ladies with hypertension and, and things, so they've got to be properly screened. But if you look at all women taking the pill, it's, it's very, very beneficial. It's a very good product, and it's been tested over a very long time. And the dosage schedule has been brought down, so the, the, the uh, amount of hormones that they take is really minimal. And it's, it's a good product. It's stood the test of time. So people shouldn't be scared of by that, but they should be examined. They shouldn't buy these things over the counter. They should speak to the gynecologist and discuss their risk profile. And then if they're okay, they can take it. They can take it for many years. Now, there's different types of pull that you can take. I mean, what is recommended for whom? Yes, uh, you get uh, the pull that, uh, that's made out of one hormone. Uh, which is the progesterone pill, and that usually you give to women who are breastfeeding and women who really can't take estrogen. And then there are the combination pills, which is a combination of estrogen, which is a female hormone, and progesterone, which is a hormone which works in, in conjunction with the estrogen. And that's what most pills actually are. That's a combination of estrogen and progesterone. The uh, it, it, it works like... Your actually like your menstrual cycle, you grow the uh, uh, endometrium, the lining of the womb with the estrogen component, and then you add the uh, second component, which is the progesterone later, and that causes you to have a, a menstruation. So um, it is uh, th- those are basically it, uh, the combinations or the single hormone tablets. Now, the combined hormone, hormonal contraceptive is the one that possibly people talk a lot about but has some sort of link to blood clots. What is, what is the link there and, and should we be that concerned about it? Now, as I've said, that, that, that there is a link, but it's, it's a trivial link. It's not a major link. Uh, I mean, if you just go into your friend, your circle of friends, I don't know how many do you know that's had a blood clot. Mm, that's true. In fact, in, in my practice, I, I can recall like two blood clots and I'm in practice for 35 years which has occurred. So the instance is really low. I always like to talk about that because, you know, people see things in, in the newspaper or they hear it on the radio or they see it on tele- television and then suddenly there's this major panic. And it's nice to be able to speak to a professional like yourself who knows about this sort of thing that says, seriously, don't stress, don't panic. You know, it's not as if it's happening to every second person every day. No. So yeah, it's, the risk is very low. It is very low, but again, I would emphasize that before you go on the pill, you've got to have a, a proper examination. The doctor has to go into your history, and he will decide what your risk factors are. 
And if you have a risk factor, then you shouldn't take it. But there's only a doctor that can tell you that. So it's respons- be responsible about it, and then that's, that, that's where it starts and ends. Yeah. Right, let's speak to Annie in Midrand. Annie, good evening. Good evening. Hi, how can we help you, Annie? Um, well, I was just wondering, um, my niece is due to, she's having a baby maybe next week or something, but her nipples are quite brittle, dry, and there is no, you know, milk coming from it, and she was quite worried. So we wanted to know, you know, um, what's up with that. It's her second baby, and it's the first time that has actually happened to her. Dr. Van der Vaart, any suggestions? Yeah, she may have eczema or she may have a little fungal infection. Uh, it's she, she should go to a GP or, or a gynecologist, and they should either take scrapings or just clinically diagnose it, and they can treat it. Uh, you know, if it's eczema, she can may, maybe just use a bit of steroid cream. Fungal infections are easily treated also with uh, with cream. So. Uh, I, I don't think it's a severe problem. Uh, she must just have it diagnosed. Has she spoken to a doctor, Annie? Yes, she has seen a doctor. And? Um, well, she hasn't. She hasn't said anything that she's been given, you know, um, any creams or nothing. That's why she was actually worried and asked her you know. The young ones always think they ask that you, the well, maybe now you can tell her to possibly go back and just ask the doctor to have a look. Maybe it's eczema and possibly to prescribe some yeah. sort of a cream for that. Eczema or fungal. Or, or a fungal like infection that. or yeah. something. But they must diagnose something before the baby comes. Thank you. Good luck, Annie, and good luck with the baby. New member Thank of the family. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye bye now. Bye. The number again. The number again, 0892-10-2010, Dr. Van der Vat, can we talk a little bit about women, and we've mentioned responsibility just before we spoke to Annie, and I'd like to talk about breast cancer and checking for lumps and women taking responsibility for that. Yes, <coughs> breast cancer is a, is a problem. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, we got very good diagnostic uh, uh, techniques right now with new forms of mammograms and uh, it can be picked up early that the, the really the uh, the trick is to get it early and um, uh, there there are uh, different let's say the treatment regimes the type of therapy that is being offered um, uh, are very good and, and so reviewed very regularly uh, but we need early diagnosis. So I would say from about 40, uh, uh, if if you haven't had a, a history, there are ladies whose mothers and grandmothers had cancer. They obviously have to start early. Uh, then you should um, start really paying attention to your breast at least once a year and have them screened. Uh, and then uh, often, you know, before you can pick it up with your fingers, uh, it's better to pick it up with a mammogram. So what what I would like to preach is to say that a diligence and careful monitoring uh, will will reveal the, the early cancers which c- can be treated. And if you're concerned about anything, don't leave it wrong. I always, I always like to say prevention is better than cure. Yes. You know, if you are concerned about something, even if it turns out to be nothing, rather go and get it checked out rather than leaving it. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. You know, people 
think if they keep quiet and they hide it, it's going to go away. It, that's not the case. Um, I've had a lot of people, uh, patients that be walking around with a lump for a year and then they were too scared to come. They're scared of the diagnosis. Uh, the, if you get it, just run. And uh, in young girls, uh, often it, it's nothing, but they can do a scan. And if you go to a dedicated mammogram unit, there are lots of them. They're very good. The doctors uh, will take good care of you and tell you the diagnosis and can diagnose. The, the uh, detection rate is very high. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not a train smash. Just get the diagnosis and then it's going to be okay and then they can treat you according to your staging. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. That's the operative word. Yes. Yeah. Now, there's also been a lot of talk recently about besides the mammogram actually going as well. Is it, is it for an ultrasound? Ultrasound is not the uh, the ideal way to do to diagnose a disease. It's a complementary way, mm, as in, well as as well as. Um, in fact, recent studies in America just said that ultrasound you, that you should reserve that only to complement the mammogram. So um, in young girls with uh, uh, ladies, uh, say in their twenties, who pre- uh, present with lumps, they got a condition called fibroadenosis. And often the radiologists would be confident to look at it with an ultrasound and probably make the, the diagnosis of fibroadenosis. So it's not, it's not alone. Uh, uh, it doesn't stand alone. It's got to be used in conjunction with, with a, a clinical assessment and we indicated a, a mammogram in the young population. But later, from about 40 onwards, the mammogram is the gold standard. And the other thing that uh, ladies need to be doing as well on a regular basis is the pap smear. Yes, that's uh, the pap smear has been very helpful over many decades. It's uh, I think it was a major breakthrough in the treatment of of cervical cancer, and um, now uh, with uh, the, the the latest diagnostic techniques and that's identifying the viruses the, like number eighteen, sixteen, eighteen, the more dangerous ones. You can actually combine the knowledge of the pap smear with a type of virus and then you can predict the severity or your risk of having the cancers. So a lot has happened in that field and I would say that ladies really have to go. If you're sexually active, that's the way to go. What age should women be starting to have all these screenings done? Um, You're referring to to pap smears. Pap smears Um, and mammograms, uh, well both of them basically. Let's, Mm. Let's take the healthy population, not the high-risk population, because there are high-risk populations within these groups. If you uh, if you look at pap smears, now let, let me explain another thing, and that is that there's vaccination now being made available, and the government is going to roll it out, I think, in the schools. This is the HPV. The HPV mm. virus vaccine, and because the HPV virus is the, 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 the chief causant of... Uh, cervical cancer that's there are different types of cervical cancer but the most severe one which is the squamous carcinoma the hpv is is uh, the causative agent there so you can prevent it by immunizing against the severe the bad viruses so that's going to bring the the uh, the cancer level down or the abnormal finding level so i think uh, the good rule is when when girls become sexually active uh, and they are exposed to these viruses, then they should go for pap smears. Um, 
if they got negative findings, yes, and but they still are active and sometimes with multiple partners, then they should go annually. Um, uh, so some girls start early before 20, yes, they should go. They should have their pap smears regularly. Uh, it's a, it's the only way, in a good way, and a very good predictive test to tell you what's going to happen to you. And sometimes you just need a small area to be excised with a biopsy. Um, the laboratory will advise the doctor what to do, the colposcopy to look for the abnormal area. So there's, there's a whole treatment program once you've done your smear and it's abnormal which way you should go. So uh, I think it's very important. In, in South Africa, cancer of the cervix is one of the biggest killers. So you should know your enemy and know how to fight him. The number again, 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 Things like cervical cancer and th- those so- sorts of things, there's not that much in the way of symptoms, so we're not really going to know unless we are being checked regularly. Correct. That's again like with breast cancer, you've got to get it early. You've got to get it before it starts causing abnormal bleeding. You've got to, you should catch these things before they they tell you they're there. They, you, you should you should do it. You should go for your early test. It's it's often very disappointing to get a lady that hasn't been at the doctor for five years and she's been bleeding for for a year or six months and she comes in, she's got florid cancer and she hasn't had a pap smear for a long time. Or her last pap smear was was normal but it was eight years ago. So she hasn't gone back. And the high risk, I mean, is that with any sign of cancer, grandmother, sister, mother, that sort of thing? If there's a close relative, you need to be checked more regularly. Yes, but that mainly goes for breast cancer Mm. at the moment. Cervical cancer, there is a very casual relationship, but it's exposure to the viruses that is more important. So your risk doesn't depend on your family probably depends on the number of partners. Now, going back to the HPV, which is the human papillomavirus, um, boys are also susceptible at this rate? Yes, um, uh, boys are susceptible, uh, but they they don't have uh, an area where it's high risk. And the women, the junction where the lining of the womb joins the lining of the vagina in the cervix, that's a very active area where a lot of cell division takes place. And when the virus gets in there, uh, then that is the area where it's going to start. So the virus flourishes in that area, just at the cervix. That's that's where the cancer starts, but a, a, a male hasn't got that. The males will just have warts and things like that. Later they can develop penile cancer, but that's a late thing. And, and could an they old. transfer it to the woman? The what, the cancer? Yeah, no, no, well, if they have the HPV, they can, the virus can oh, be transmitted. Yes, the virus is transmitted by the penis. Okay, so we all just need to be very careful. And you the do. fact that the, the government is now bringing this into the schools is probably one of the best bits of news I've heard in a long time. <laughs> kind of They're talking about it. I, I, they're yes. going to roll it out. Mm. Yes. It'll save our young ladies, which will be fantastic. For, for sure. Dot in Durban, good evening. Good evening. Hi. Hi, Hi. how can we help I you, Dot? talk about perimenopause. Mm. I'm perimenopausal. Um, and I just feel like this is for some kind of disease. <laughs> Whether whereas it's actually quite a natural process. Mm. Um, my mum was put on to HRT. My mum is now 73 and as strong as an ox. My sister, who's 18 months younger than me, has been going through this for three years. She's in the medical profession and has decided not to do HRT. Um, you know, I've got all the 
typical symptoms, volatile temper, um, exhaustion, depression, all this kind of thing. And I've been to see uh, a, a gynecologist who specializes in um, menopause who has suggested that I go on to HRT. But I'd just like to understand if this is a natural process, should we be interfering with the process by going on to HRT? Doctor? Okay. Mm, yes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult question, uh, really, because if you look at it historically, um, you know, women don't appreciate it, but at the turn of the last century, like from about 1850 to about 1915, most women actually died uh, in, ch in childbirth or in the reproductive years. So you didn't have many elderly ladies. Don't call us elderly now, no. doctor. I mean, seriously now. <laughs> Dot, are you offended? I'm sure no, we all no, are. No, the ladies actually, the ladies actually <laughs> died before they got old. Well, we're not even there. Right. We just we no. stay. Yeah, we're young. Okay, carry but on. But now, with medicine and all that, uh, uh, you know, the women's life expectancy was much less than males. So, uh, you would have your children, and you know, it was a, a disease that afflicted the women more, and yet men with. Two or three wives and a lot of children, but it's changed. Now, women have got two lives. They got the life, the reproductive life, and they got the life after reproduction. And now those two lives are about the same in length, you know, so it'll be 40 to another 40. So that wasn't the norm many years ago. I'm, I'm talking about, say, 100, 200 years ago. So now uh, the women are, are exposed to withdrawal of estrogen which is more anabolic and helps to build your bone and protect your heart and all that, for a very long time, and they start degenerating. They get degenerative diseases because they haven't got the estrogen. In fact, a lot of women call it they go in cold turkey. They haven't got this magic woman drug, the Venus drug. It's not there. And um, it's now been shown, and just prior to coming here, I was at a meeting on this very issue and there will be a position statement coming out in the South African Medical Journal to deal with uh, with this question and generally I can just say and I'm, I've just come from this meeting is that hormone replacement therapy is good for you in, in, in virtually all respects so and it's also very very safe so the fears that we had before are now going to be alleviated and I, I, you should keep your eyes open for the South African Medical Journal and this position statement. So I, I would be in favor of hormone replacement therapy. Uh, again, the woman has to see the gynecologist. Again, her risk factors has to be assessed. Some women cannot take it. Which are those women that can't? Those are, those are probably uh, ladies who are susceptible to breast cancer, the women who's got bad, bad clotting problems, and... Uh, uh, women with uteruses in after menopause should have a special type of hormone replacement therapy so it's a it's a therapy that has to be targeted to that specific woman and she uh, her whole profile has to be like worked out and then she must get the right treatment there, there are lots of hormone replacement therapies you know for different you know different types of combinations so it's not a one have. size fits all type no, thing definitely not absolutely not so, Dot, you were, you were wondering whether this is something natural and we should just sort of suck it up and get on with it, basically. That's right, and get on with it, you know, like my sister. You, you can, doing. I mean, you I've can had, do I've it. Been very, I've been very healthy 
pregnancies, never had, you know, I don't have high blood pressure, cholesterol, none of those things. I exercise regularly. Should this not just be a natural process, let just let it happen. Is it how badly is it affecting no, you, you though, can, Dot? Uh, you, sorry, I interrupted. Sorry, now I was wondering how badly it was affecting you, Dot. Well, I, I wake up an average of five times a night with hot flushes. Um, you know, the volatile, I mean, I don't know why I'm so angry over small little things. And, you know, the literature that I've read suggests that it's attributable to this phase. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm considering. I've read a lot of literature that hormone therapy is a good thing, and, does, and it is very beneficial for your bones, strengthening the bones, etc. The pros seem to be a um, lot more than the negative and I have been assessed by a gynecologist who reckons I'm a good candidate for it. So I don't have a problem. My problem is this is a natural process. Why are we interfering with it? Well as I explained it's uh, it's, yes. it's not really a natural process. You're withdrawing right. a very important hormone from your system mm-hmm. and you will you will get a bone decalcification. You you will get this, you know, even your skin benefits from it. You will get cognitive problems like forgetting and things like that and definitely yeah. you'll get sleep disturbances and this has been shown that hormone replacement therapy on this position statement it will actually recommend it for sleep disturbances exactly like you've been saying now right. it is an overall tonic it's a, it's a very good uh, we call it an ana- anabolic type of medicine which makes you just brings you back to you know just puts back what you've lost how long is this perimenopause sort of likely to last, Doctor? Was everybody different? Well, everybody's different because not everybody goes through the menopause at the same time. So uh, uh, from about 50 to 53, most women would be crossing that river. Mm. And um, at perimenopause, um, your, your body is quite strange because as, as it starts failing, uh, your, your, uh, your hormones will try to... Uh, like uh, get it up again like it's like a horse that's that's tired and falls down the on the ground and you hit it with a with a stick and it may jump up and run a few more paces <laughs> that's a that's a perimenopause that is like uh, your body your your body pumps out hormones to get the estrogen going and you you get back into rhythm and then it collapses again and that is a perimenopause that's a, a, a difficult time where your body is trying to to keep going and and stimulating the uh, the your your ovaries to produce estrogen, the FSH and the LH levels go up, and that's why you get the flashes. So it's like a fluctuating situation in the perimenopause. Sometimes you'll feel good, but when the menopause comes, then everything is down. The horse doesn't get up anymore. Dot, I'm starting to think we should maybe go and hide ourselves away in a cave for a while. You know, well, this, beat this dead horse. I no, Thank it's you, just an, an analogy. It's just an analogy yes, that your no, body sure is trying to do. Your, your brain is pushing the ovaries to work, and they're failing. And then they jump, and then they go down, and then they work a little bit, and then eventually they just fail. Gosh, geez, actually, this getting old thing is really not for sissies, eh? no. it really isn't. <laughs> well, Dot, I wish you much luck in whatever you decide to do. I would recommend she she goes. You'll have a much better quality of life. It sounds like you yeah, might get I a good night's sleep at least, Dot. Yeah, well, that would be wonderful. Hmm. <laughs> sounds like maybe Thank she you. could have another word with your doctor. Go to a mammogram I, before I you go. Dot, sorry, did you hear that, Dot? All women that go on HRT should have a mammogram screen 
they sh- should have a full thyroid, blood count, everything, cholesterol, and have their cardiac status assessed and all that, and then uh, yeah, they should go for it. Before you put on, right. on yeah. the CS. And another thing, just today we had this meeting, and it says there's a window of opportunity. The earlier you start with your hormone replacement therapy, the better it is for you. And the window opportunity is between 40 and 50. It's mm-hmm. very little benefits if you start later. What if you haven't gone through perimenopause that early? I mean, is it a sort of a set date age that you go through this, or is everybody different as well? Uh, in, into the menopause? Mm. No, that's it is a set. Uh, some women go earlier. They go before 40. Sure. And then some women go th- through their fort- through the 40s. They sort of, some of them... Uh, go through it but uh, by and large from about 48 to 55 that's about the time it comes and you but that is would that then be too late to start the HRT no HRT was between 50 and 60 because you said 40 and 50 and I thought gosh that's why I asked you I thought gosh that's very young that's the time that's the time uh, when 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 you go can start with your perimenopause and get these hormonal fluctuations between 50 and 60 that is sorry uh, that uh, you got understood me wrong that is the time when you have we call it the window of opportunity. Okay. And then the right. earlier you start, the better it is in the long term. Right. And after 60, what happens? What's the hormone therapy? After 60? Sorry, you broke yes. up there, Dot. Uh, Sorry, after 60, you stop the hormone. What happens then? No, you don't have you to stop it. No, you don't have to stop it. There are newer products. And there's one called Tibolone, which is not a full estrogen. It works like an estrogen. You can take that for a long time. But the consensus is that you can carry on after 60. The the stopping, there's no magic stopping time. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure, Dot. I hope that helped you. Yes, absolutely. And I will certainly take your advice, Doctor. Okay, well, go and speak to your doctor. You must be well well examined and get all the... uh, uh, cross, jump all the hurdles, and then when you yes. get to the other side, you're fine. Okay. Thank Good luck, so Dot. Much. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key, and this evening we're focusing on women's health. My guest this evening is Dr. Johan van der Watt. He's an obstetrician and gynecologist in private practice at Parkland Clinic in Johannesburg. If you have any questions, we've got about 15 minutes left. If you'd like to get in, 0892 2010. Just referring back, doctor, to something that we were talking to Dot about was the bones and all that sort of thing, the osteoporosis. What about bone density scans? If, if people are not taking HRT, should they be going regularly for bone density scans? Yes, um, I think a good time to start with that is uh, around about 50. So when you go for your mammogram after 50, just go for a baseline bone density. There are ladies uh, who actually will uh, have... Uh, bone destruction earlier and they usually the thin blonde ladies who smoke uh, that's all risk, risk factors uh, so if if you if you're going through an earlier menopause and you're thin and you're smoking you're probably going to end up with osteoporosis um, and and the good the good thing uh, is that it can be picked up and you can be treated because contrary to what women think uh, uh, most women in the, in their later life um, who has not gone through the preventative medicine uh, will die of fractures rather than breast cancer or any of these other things that people are scared of. It's fractures that's going to kill them. How would fractures kill them? Because they uh, they uh, get bedridden 
and they go immobile and that's when they get pneumonias and clots and things like that. It's, it's actually a, a, a high-risk disease, fracture, fracture in your old hip fractures. Yes, we always hear, you hear in the old days about the elderly always falling, and the hip fracture seemed to be the one thing yeah. um, that they ended up in hospital for for long periods of time. And is that's, that's obviously still a problem then. That is a big problem, yeah. So that can be prevented. And there are lots of medicines out there that can help them uh, preventing this bone loss. And, and you also get vertebral fractures, your spine bows forward to the front and you get pinched nerves and all that. The osteoporotic disease is not a pleasant disease, especially, as you say, in old age, you don't need a thing like that. No, as I said, this getting old thing is definitely not for sissies. I mean, there seems to be one thing after the other and we've got to be tested for. You know, but the thing is, we just have to be responsible about this. There's no point panicking and thinking, oh my goodness, listening to this and making lists and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to spend my life at the doctors now. It's not. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. We're just trying to make you aware of what you should be considering and and if you are healthy and looking after yourself and do all your prevention that you only need to go to gynecologist really for once a year the most people most people so that's not really a tall ask but you got to have a a medical record your mammograms has to be in the file your bone densities they draw little graphs you can see if the bones going up or down and you get nice reports on the mammogram and usually the visit is just a nice slap on the back and say, good, you've done well. So just carry on and we, we, tw- we tweak the, the treatments. Well, just do what I do every year when I go. I sort of make one month and I sort of in that particular month every year I go for all the tests I need to go for. Mm-hmm. And then I buy myself a present because I think I was very clever and very brave to have gone for all those tests. And so then I get a present. It's normally a book. I love books. That's good. So I go and buy myself a book. That's <laughs> I always say, well, I'm off today. Oh, what can I buy myself when I'm done? And then I get a nice present. And, right. And, and, <clears throat> and also it's secure in the knowledge that if you go regularly and they do find something, look, yes. you do find things. You do get women with breast cancer. You mm. do get women who's got this and that and abnormal smear. It's usually at a time that you can actually do something, do something about it. Because you're going on a regular basis. Yes. So, right. Gloria in Ranfontaine. Good evening. Good evening. Hi. Um, men, I just want to ask you, I'm 57 years old. And um, I've got a, I've, I have uh, been fixed already, and uh, my lower back gets very, very sore, and I don't know what it is. And, I've, and I'm going, to, I'm going to the doctor on the fifth of January next year to a gynecologist, and I just want to find out is it is it my uh, uterus or what's the problem there? When you say you've been fixed, Gloria, yes. what do you mean? I've been uh, sterilised. Okay. So. I just want to find out, I, I, I don't come on my periods anymore, and I just want to find out that, uh, is it my uterus that's giving me problems, or what's going on there, because I get terrible, terrible uh, backaches, and from, from my back, it goes to my neck, and from my neck, it, I get these migraine headaches, it lasts about two to three days. Well, I don't know why you should wait till 5th of January mm. next year. Yeah, because apparently, I phoned a gynecologist, and he said that I He's fully booked for the whole year in. That's at 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 Valcom. At um, they actually just want to send me to a black gynecologist, and I'm not so happy about that. Well, you know they're all well trained, so I would I I would uh, suggest that you go earlier because you may have lots of problems. Um, in the sense that I don't think you should relate back pro- your back pain to your uterus per se, especially if it runs up and down your spine. You may have. How old are you? I didn't get. Fifty-seven, your, I think 57, you said. Gloria, yeah. yes. You may have osteoporosis. You may have collapsed vertebrae. There are lots of things. You, you need. You need a, a, 
a bone density and probably mm. x-rays and even an MRI, which is very specialized for mm. the back, and that'll show pinched nerves, collapse, whatever. You need to have a, uh, your back uh, checked out mm-hmm. and obviously thrown in with the gynecological examination and your mammograms. I think you need a thorough checkup, but I think you're wasting time to wait till the fifth. Is it? Yeah. Because apparently he says that she says that the doctor's very uh, fully booked from now until the fifth of yeah, January. That, that is a problem. That yeah. is a problem. You need to uh, find uh, a different one. Then, and it's going to get worse. I, in the beginning, I said there's going to be less and less gynecologists. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I um, think you need to. Where do you stay in Runfontein? Runfontein, yes. But why do you go to Valco? Uh, because I, I prefer that doctor that that I know because he knows me and, he, and he's. A Examines me and, and he knows my whole history. But they can send your history to your to a new doctor, Gloria. Try, try Clarkstop. They're very good doctors. Oh, okay. I'll do so. Yeah. And then basically, um, Dr. Van der Vaart, I'm sure that Gloria can just ask him to forward her, her files to the new doctor so that he's got her Absolutely, record there. Yeah. Absolutely. Gloria, they just ask them to transfer your records from your existing doctor to the new one and then oh. he'll have all your records and he'll be able to see exactly what's been going on with you. Oh, fine. Thank very you. Very good really. gynecologist in Clarkstop. Okay. But please, Gloria, don't Krugerstorp. wait. Even Krugerstorp. Krugerstorp is close to you. Yes, yes. Krugerstorp is close to me. Yeah. I, I, I can't mention names, but I mean, that's a lot of doctors in, close to you. Okay. But, but don't wait till, till Fifth then. of January. No. Yeah. Rather go now. At least, I mean, if you say you're in such excruciating pain mm-hmm. and you're getting migraines and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. you don't want to go through the festive season like that, Gloria, and that's still months away. Yes, yes, yes. understand. Okay, fine. Thank you very much, Doctor. Thanks. Okay. Thanks so much for getting through. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, this is exactly what we were talking about. You know, there's there's obviously a big problem with something. Um, you know, and, and now the doctor's full, but now she'll wait till January. There are other doctors. Please don't wait. Even she can go to a general practitioner. Mm, and initially. She doesn't have to go to the gynecologist, and the general practitioner could do some screening tests. And then refer it to a specialist if there's anything, you know, if she's got bad osteoporosis, he can start, he can initiate th- treatment by just phoning the specialist and sort of find out what she can go on in the meantime. If you've got to the point now where osteoporosis is now set in, is there much you can do at this stage or is it something that has to be prevented rather than treated? Exactly. Uh, you should know your bone status from from. From the perimenopause, a lot of women start doing the bone densities, as I said, between uh, 40 and 50. Uh, by the time you, uh, you are 50, you should know what, what your status is like and you should get treatment. It's very difficult to treat uh, once you've got uh, osteoporosis set in. Uh, the, um, the treatment is very slow and it takes a long time. It takes a long time. You can only rebuild about 10 to 15% of your bone mass over a year. It's very little. So it's, this is another one. Go and get, once you reach that age, go and have the bone density scan done. Have it checked. Rather pre- prevent it than try and do something once it's too late. Julie in Lanesia, good evening. Good evening to you. How are you? Fine, thank you. How can we help you, Julie? Yes, please. I'm 72 years old. I started menopause at the age of 40. And I was on a hormone treatment all the time, but it didn't really work for me. Now I went to see a gynecologist that put me on antidepressants to help me with the, with the menopause. Okay. And how is that working? No, it's working for me, but I, I don't know how good the antidepressants is. Will I have to stay on it all the time? Um, are you still taking I, your female hormones? No, no. Because 
even that's got a mental tonic, uh, the uh, the female hormones. How long did you take the, your uh, um, my fi- my your hormones HRT, yes. from the age of forty to about sixty five? Okay. Um, uh, the doctor that put you on the antidepressants is he a psychiatrist or a GP or no, he's a, a, um, a physician. A physician. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, you may have problems in your life. Then you may have troubles, or uh, you know, we call it exogenous depression. Is a depression caused by circumstances around you? I'm not sure. I don't, you know, I don't want to cross question you on that. Uh, maybe you can correct a few of the problems, and you will not be depressed. Oh, you no, can. but you said the the news the new breakthrough is we don't put uh, people on hormone therapy. We there's three types of antidepressants that they put them on, and this helps to the the sweatings and what. Oh, so you, you you're saying that they put you on that in place of the hormone replacement? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Doctor Van der Vos, have you ever heard of that? Uh, no, it's not really part of our of our treatment regime. We would treat uh, depression specifically if there is depression, but as I say, when you take estrogen, you, you get it's like a nerve tonic, and there's very few people who need concomitant uh, specialist uh, antidepressant therapy. But you know what's happened, doctor? Since mm-hmm. I'm taking the antidepressants, I'm not sweating like that anymore. Yeah, that is true. You. Um, uh, you can have vasomotor symptoms. That's 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 what the sweating causes the sweating and, and the flushes. It may actually alleviate that, but it's a it's a quite a. I'm not sure which one you're on, uh, but it, it's sort of uh, let's say it's a, a harsh treatment for 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 the flushes. We, we don't we don't use antidepressants to treat flushing. Oh, now tell me, doctor, at my age, must, can I still go on hormone therapy? Have you still got your uterus in? Yes. Uh, that makes it a little bit more complicated. How long have you stopped for, Julie? Uh, I stopped in nine, when I was 65. And how old are you now? 72. Don't so tell anyone. Oh, okay, we weren't. Seven years ago, okay. I think you need a full <clears throat> examination and full checkup. You have to have your mammograms and everything. And then there are newer products. There's one to be learned in that. Um, which which works like a hormone replacement, but it, it's not an estrogen, and it's it's quite safe to take, and and that may actually help you. Okay. But you need to be completely checked out. You know, if you stop and you start again, you've lost uh, some of the benefits which you've already had, and uh, it's it's better to be fully completely checked and then. So I've got to again. go to a gynecologist. For sure, yeah. Well, or, or, uh, there are some doctors who uh, I know there's physicians that work with bone metabolism, osteoporosis, and that. They are also good. They, you know, they 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 also prescribe you stuff. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Good luck to you, Julie. I'm a first-time caller. Well, thank you. you. Did very well. Thanks so much for calling. I hope right. you call in again. Yes, yes I will. Thank Thanks, you. Julie. Bye bye now. Good night, to you. The Department of Labor invites heads of departments, senior EE transformation managers, employment equity forum members, 
trade unions and HR practitioners to attend employment equity roadshows advocating critical areas in the Employment Equity Amendment Act of 2013 and the amended Employment Equity Regulations of 2014, including a practical demonstration of the EE online reporting facility for the 2014 reporting period. Well, there's one roadshow left, and that's tomorrow, Wednesday the 13th of August, at the Santon Convention Centre from 10am to 1pm. The contact persons for this are Ms. Julie Mahali, Ms. Medisa Molani, and the number is 012-309-4539 or 4331. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, we have one last caller we can possibly squeeze in before the end. Philemon in Pomalanga, good evening. Uh, good evening, Karen, and the doctor. Oh, good evening. How can we help, Philip? Are we talking about women's health? Is this to do with women's yes, health? Yes, 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 Karen. Okay. I want to know. I'm six years, but I'm still active to the to the ground, you know. But the problem is what when I am finished to play the game, the kidneys are paining. What what cooking on? You, but we talk about women's health now, Philemon. You talk. I don't know whether the doctor can help you. You're saying after sex, you're saying you have a kidney p- That's pain. That's correct, yes. Okay, I don't know. Dr. Van der Watt, is this not quite women's health here, but is it something that you would know you could possibly help Philemon with? Uh, I don't know. If, uh, you should just go and have an, uh, a urine analysis and have his prostate checked and uh, just go through the sort of the uh, steps a, ma- a man should do to see if he's healthy. You know, ma- males have got the same same screening processes that, that they should go through. Uh, that's a whole discussion in itself, especially with prostate cancer. Yeah, oh gosh, that. we do that regularly. And we've got yeah. another one coming up, I think, in a couple, couple of weeks' time. We'll be talking about S- men's health again. So you should discuss it with a urologist. So there are lots of problems, uh, uh, you know, that could, could cause this. Uh, Have you been to a urologist, Philemon? No, 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 ma'am. You need to go. Have yourself checked out. You know, we said at the beginning of the show, we're very, very concerned about our men who don't go to the doctor. So please do me a favor. Go and see your doctor and go and get yourself tested for all sorts of things. And they can give you a clean bill of health so you know that you're fine. Will you go and do that? Thank you, Karen. Okay, go and do that soon, okay? Okay, thank you Thanks, Philemon. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Well, my thanks once again this evening to obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Johan van der Watt, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of Health Matters. Dr. van der Watt, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, if you have any questions about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za, or you can take a look at the Facebook page, which is Health Matters on SAFM. And there's a list there of available documents on the Facebook page. If you'd like any of them, post a message. And um, But please remember... Often get messages posted there without email addresses and then I can't send you anything. So please add your email address. And if you don't have access to Facebook, email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za and I will send you the list. And after tonight, there's actually going to be quite a lot of documents I'm going to be putting up there. So they'll look out in the probably by tomorrow morning. There'll be lots of new ones. So have a look for the new set of, of documents. And also just a reminder that if you're wanting to know anything about endometriosis, there's a wonderful website. It's called www.endometriosis pain.co.za go on there and you'll be able to find out lots of information that will be able to help you well that's it for health matters for this week i'm karen key thanks for joining me and i'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel but right now it's time for stephen kirker and some late night music hello stephen